Awesome. So I just, what I want to do before I begin is just uh, pray a prayer. But I, while I was um, worshiping tonight, I just asked the Lord, what, do you, what are you doing tonight? What do you want to do? And I just felt him say, he wants to open blind eyes. That doesn't mean physically blind. It means spiritually blind, where spiritually we can't see the things that God's trying to reveal. And I felt he wanted to do a work of just opening eyes so that we can see the truth for what it really is. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 4. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see. That was demonstrated physically. He healed people that were blind. But in a much larger sense, there were just numbers and numbers of people who were spiritually blind and were unable to see what God was doing in their midst. And so there's an anointing from the Lord that actually breaks through, breaks into our lives and and causes us to see things through revelation from God. So I want to just pray because when God speaks, power comes with his word to accomplish what he said he's going to do. God never speaks something and then you go, well, let's see what happens. When he said, let there be light, boom, there was light. There's no other option. When God says, let there be this, if he's going to do something, it's going to happen. So I fully believe God is going to touch our lives tonight, open our eyes and give us an understanding in the spirit. So Lord, we, we come before you this evening and we thank you, Lord, that you are the God who opens blind eyes. That when you shine your light of revelation upon us, suddenly we see things as they really are. We see spiritual truths that we wouldn't see with our natural eye or with our natural mind. We don't understand. But when you give understanding, it's like the lights come on. And suddenly we see things the way you intended. And I pray that that would happen tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, spiritually speaking, so that we can understand these truths to a greater measure. Because these things that we're talking about cannot be understood by the worldly mind, by a carnal mind. They can only be understood as your Holy Spirit gives revelation on these truths. So we welcome you, Lord. Come and speak to us tonight. Come and move in our lives and come and change us. We want to engage with you tonight. We want to meet you. We want to hear from you. And we ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So let me do what I didn't do this morning, and that is start my timer. I put it on and I never started the thing. There we go. Okie dokes. Now, the title of my message is You Are the Temple of God. And it might seem like a strange title to you. Maybe you've never heard uh, that being preached on before. But we're in the book of 1 Corinthians. So we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians for quite a while now. And we started it last year sometime. And we broke away for a short section because we got to a verse that said, you can lay no other foundation other than that of Jesus Christ. And so we unpacked that over a series of about 10 weeks. And we looked at what exactly is that foundation. And then two weeks ago, we covered now that you've laid the foundation, you build upon it. And what you use to build upon that foundation is going to be judged by fire. If you use gold, silver, and precious stones, what you've built will survive. And if you use wood, hay, or straw, 
it'll all be burnt up. And you'll be saved, but there was no reward. Okay, that's essentially what the teaching last week was. Now we're looking at some extra truth that Paul is adding on here. And remember that whenever you read the Bible, it's not just Paul writing to Corinth. It's God speaking through Paul to Corinthians. And that's why the Bible is timeless. If it wasn't that, this is just a historical document. You know, this is Paul's letter to Corinth 2,000 years ago. How can it speak to us? But it's because the Holy Spirit inspired him to write these words. It still speaks to us today. Because it says all scripture is God-breathed. That means every page in this book is spoken by God. Written by men and women, but spoken by God. Okay? I can feel myself wanting to go off on a tangent. Anyway, let's get back to back to the thing here. Okay, so this letter to Corinth is a letter to address some problems in the church. They are a wonderful bunch of people, but they've got some problems. In fact, every single letter in the New Testament is addressing problems in the church. So Galatians, Philippians, Colossians, even the book of Revelation, the first couple of chapters are to seven churches addressing issues in those churches. So the fact that we have issues as a church puts us in good company, okay? All right? But Paul is writing to this Corinthian church, and from chapters 1 to 4, he's addressing the most problematic problem in this church. And he dealt with some serious problems in this church, things like sexual immorality and all sorts of other things. But the thing he deals with first is division. You might go, oh, well, why is that so important? Surely there's other sins that are way more problematic. Well, division is absolutely the worst thing ever that can happen to a church. Because in Psalm 133, I'm going to read it to you. Psalm 133, it says this, How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and into the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. Zion is, Zion is a place of, of uh, where Christians and uh, we will be forever with God. Okay? It's, a, it's a prophetic place. It's not a physical place that they're talking about here. But they're saying it's like the dew that falls on Mount Hermon is falling on Mount Zion. Okay? And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing. So where there is unity, God commands a blessing. That's why unity in a marriage is such a powerful thing. Because God commands a blessing when there's unity. And he actually says when two of you agree on anything, it will be given to you. Why don't we receive that? Because we're not in harmony. It's not just saying, yeah, amen, at the end of a prayer. It's being absolutely in harmony with each other. And so when a church is in harmony, my goodness, it's a powerful thing. There is a commanded blessing from God. So Paul speaks into this because he knows this issue here, never mind about all the other problems. If they don't get this right, it's over. That church is finished. And so he speaks to them and he says, and, and through Paul, God challenges their way of thinking. 
He challenges their idolizing of preachers. You know, they're all like, oh, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter. They've all got these little factions, and they're busy following their their top preacher, you know. And it's like Peter preaches a better gospel than, than Paul does, and we don't agree with this theology of Paul. We agree with Peter. And so there's all these divisions going on in the church. And so God challenges their level of maturity. He says, you're acting like babies. That's what babies do. <laughs> Mature Christians don't do this. And he shines his light of revelation on the foundation that they build upon. He says, You've all, all of you only have one foundation. Not Paul's foundation, not Apollos, it's Jesus only. And then he shows them now what, do you, what you build on that foundation is also important. What are you using to build? Are you using wood, hay, and straw, or gold, silver, and precious stones? And now he brings it to a third thing where he, he shines a light on an even greater revelation. And what you'll see is that when God gives uh, revelation, it's progressive. So he first gives step one, then he gives step two, then he gives step three. It's a, it's a progressive thing, and it builds upon one another, like building a wall. You don't just suddenly come along and say, well, the window is supposed to be here, and you let it go on the floor. You have to have built the bricks up to put the window in, okay? It's exactly like that with Revelation. You have to lay the, lay the things that God's saying, and then you can lay on top of that and on top of that and on top of that. That's how Christianity works. <clears throat> we see that uh, I mentioned it in Hebrews chapter 6. We went through that whole foundation of Jesus. Repentance of dead works is first. Then faith in God. Not faith, then repent. Repent and believe. There's an order. Then baptisms, water and Holy Spirit. Then the laying on of hands, because now you've received power to minister. Now you need to be set apart or ordained to minister. Or you can transmit that power to your children by blessing them or praying, laying hands on the sick, seeing them healed. You don't repent and then lay hands on the sick. <laughs> you need to receive from the Holy Spirit first. And then resurrection of the dead after you died and eternal judgment. The Bible said it is appointed for men, to, all men, to die once and thereafter that comes judgment. You die and then judgment, not the other way around. <laughs> so there's an order to the revelation that God gives. It's not just random and you don't just go, well, I'll have that thing there and that thing there and that thing there. That's all I want. Well, if we're going along in this order and we say, well, I'm not interested in this, God just puts pause on and says, well, that's where you're going to stop. You're going to live a very wobbly Christian life. You're going to have no eternal security. You're going to always worry about the future, worry about what's going to happen when you die. You're always struggling to go, what is my calling in life? How am I going to be used in ministry because I refuse to be baptized in water? Well, you haven't done step three. So it's four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's not going to happen. <laughs> and God's saying the choice is yours. I'm patient. I'll just stand here and wait. When you want to move on, let me know, and <laughs> we'll get you baptized in water, and then we'll move on and start laying the next things, you know. That's how God works. And so to the Corinthians, God has shown them that the foundation they lay is Jesus, once that foundation is laid, you build on it with whatever you, 
How are you serving God? What are you, how are you allowing God to move in your life? Then he's saying, okay, but there's something else I want to add to that. Because there could be a tendency to be selfish in all of us and to say, well, I want the foundation of Jesus all for myself. Because, hey, I know this is the best, this is what God wants. So I'm laying it, but it's selfish. And I want to build with gold, silver, and precious stones. Why? Because I want a reward. <laughs> it's selfish. But now God says, uh, sorry, but Paul says, and God says, you are the temple of God. It's not about you. It's about God. You can't be selfish about that. uh, Sorry, 1 Corinthians in chapter 3. We're going to read it. 1 Corinthians. You get Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. And I'm going to give a couple of points about being the temple of God. It says here, Paul says, Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple. For this temple is holy. Holy means set apart. Holy means it's not common. God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Wow. That's a hard truth to actually take in. It's something that we can struggle to even believe. And I want to give three points about this, and this is how the points are going to work. I'm going to say a Christian life is dot, 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 point number one. So a Christian life is, number one, a life that is set apart. We've been set apart for something unique. Okay? He says, Paul says here, don't you realize you're carrying on like this? You're busy arguing about who you're following. Don't you realize it's not about you? It's about God. You're the temple of God. You see, the temple, if you have a look at at Israel in in the time when they haven't had a temple, they don't have one now, it was destroyed. But when they had a temple, the temple was a totally unique building. There was no other building like it. It was set apart for a specific function. And one word that you could use to describe the temple is sacred. No other building was sacred. There were other buildings that were far more impressive, like Herod's Palace, for instance. Wonderful building, very impressive. It's not the temple. There were other buildings that were far more productive. Farms and workshops and blacksmiths and all these kind of things. Producing lots of goods. But it's not the temple. Okay? There were other, there were other buildings that would have been mansions that the wealthy would have lived in. There would have been powerful buildings. Far more powerful than the temple. The Roman garrison, for instance. That was a powerful building. Okay? But it's not the temple. It isn't set apart for that unique work of God. The temple had a totally unique function that no other building could do. You couldn't come with your animal and say, I'm going to sacrifice to God and go to the Roman garrison. And there we go. I'm going to make my offering to God. You couldn't do that. You could only go to the temple. And the priests had to sacrifice your animal for you. It was a building that was set apart. And Paul says now, you are the temple. 
In other words, we have been set apart for something that isn't common. It's amazing. It really is. It's like, whoa, God has got something incredible for us as believers. There's only one theme in the temple, and that is God and His glory. It's all about glorifying God. Every single thing in the temple shouts glory to God, praise to God. The priests are glorifying God. The worshippers are glorifying God. Even the furniture in the building is all shouting glory to God. The walls were coated in gold. They were not coated, plated in gold. And I said this morning, I actually got the, the figure wrong. In fact, I'll come to that later. Hang on. I'm jumping ahead here. Psalm 29 verse 9 says this. Just write it down. Psalm 29 9. In his temple, everyone shouts glory. That's what goes on in the temple of God. Psalm 48 verse 9 says this, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love as we worship in your temple. What do we do? We meditate, we focus on God and his unfailing love. So not only is everything in the temple shouting glory, glory, glory to God, inwardly the people in there are meditating on God and his unfailing love. We're glorifying God on the inside. But God says, you're the temple. What does that say about our lives? Jesus, not common. There's nothing common about our lives. It's glorious. Every single second of our day is glory to God. While you're driving your car, while you're in the kitchen cooking, while you're at work, while you're mowing the lawn, while you're collecting the post, it's sacred. Your whole life is about glorifying God. And I'm not saying be super spiritual, yeah? You need to focus on something. You need to pay attention when you're on the road. Not just glory to God, you know. Like, <laughs> you have to drive. But, but I'm talking about a connection with God that at any moment God could speak to. Here I am, busy in the front of the meeting. Yeah, we're all singing. And I'm asking God, what are you doing here? And he just immediately says, I'm going to open blind eyes tonight. Boom. Just like that. Why? Because we're connected with God. We have this relationship that at any instant someone could come up to me in coals and be like, oh, I've got such back pain or something like that. And immediately I can just ask God and say, God, what do you want me to do here? Say, well, lay hands on the guy and heal him. All right? Boom. Healed. Here I am minding my own business. I'm just picking out, am I going to eat what? Pork or beef, I don't know, what, buying whatever I'm buying in coals, and immediately the Holy Spirit can break in. That's being the temple. It's about a life that at any time I can be glorifying God and connected with God. There's something sacred about our lives as believers. It's not common. You see, when we see this truth, our lives can never be self-centered. We can't go, oh, well, I'm not really in this for reward. You know, it doesn't matter if I don't build with gold, silver, or precious stones because I don't do this for reward. Praise the Lord, I do it for God's glory. <laughs> you know, that false humility where it's like, no, nah, it's actually all about God. I don't want a reward. Well, we should care about what we're building because it's the temple for God. It's something sacred. It's important. Imagine, the imagine they built the temple that had no gold inside of it. 
Imagine it had just rough wood and half the planks are skew and the nails are sticking out. Guys are going in there like grief. I've got to worship God in this kind of building. <laughs> yeah, the roof's half falling in and it's like, sheesh, I'm going to worship God. But hopefully there's no earthquake here because the thing's going to come down on top of me. That building, when you walked in it, it was like wall-to-wall golden mirrors. Can you imagine being in a building? This is what the inside of that temple looked like. Gold on every wall, like mirrors. So you stand in there, you're seeing images of yourself all over the joint, and it's just gold, blinding gold. That's the temple. It was such a holy and fearful place. When the high priest went in behind that curtain, you know what they did? They tied a rope around the guy's legs because only he was allowed in there. No one else, you dared try and go through that curtain and boom, you did instantly. So that high priest was like going in like this, man. And he had on the bottom of his uh, ephod or whatever they called it, they had a bell and a fruit and a bell and a fruit and a bell and a fruit representing the gifts and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? They didn't know that at the time. They just had this thing on. But good thing they had bells and a rope around. Because as long as they heard the bells jingling, he's okay. As soon as the bells stop, he's dead. Pull him out. Because who's going to go in and get the dead body? <laughs> There'll be two dead bodies and then three as soon as people go in there trying to fetch the guys. So they just had the rope waiting. Okay, he's still there. Yep, I can hear the bells. Praise God. Otherwise, we need a new high priest because next year someone else has got to go in there. Once a year, the high priest could go in and he made atonement for the entire nation. Once a year, we get access to God better than that any time we want. I mean, that, if that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what does. That place there had the Shekinah glory of God. Where it was a terrifying thing. We draw near to God in that same glory, but we have no fear because God has removed our, our, the, the damage that sin has done in our body and the consequences of sin. So there's no fear when we approach God now. Those guys went in literally in fear and trembling. Amazing, eh? It gives new meaning to us when we read Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Where it says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So not only are we being built as the temple, but we are also to operate as priests in this temple and offer our bodies, which is the temple, as a sacrifice to God. It's the imagery can be a bit confusing, but it's glorious. A Christian life is a life that's set apart. Second thing, a Christian life is a life of incredible value. Ephesians 2, verse 19 to 22. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. <clears throat> a Christian life is a life of incredible value. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. 
we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Just notice all those building terms. House, built, foundation, cornerstone, joined together, holy temple and dwelling. God is building something here. Okay? God has always required from his people to build him a place where he can live. Did you know that? In the Old Testament, they were wandering around in the desert. God said, build a tabernacle like a tent. I want to be in the midst of you, but I need a tent. Why does he need a tent? Because they're moving all the time. They're here, they're there, they're there, they're there. So he needs a tent. <laughs> God loves camping. Amen. And then when they got in the land, he said, right, now you're in your land. You're in the promised land. Now build a temple because you guys are here. No more wandering around in the desert. And build it in Jerusalem. That was God's choice. And so they built the first temple under Solomon's rule. Here's the thing. That temple, I got this wrong in the morning. That temple is the most costly building ever built. I said this morning it was 500 million. It's 500 billion. That's how much, the gold in that temple... You have a look at what it says and uh, read it in 1 Kings. How much gold they used. They used something like 8 million pounds of gold, which is about 16 to 18 million kgs of gold. You work out what that is in today's price. In fact, Tristan worked it out today. The gold at today's gold price is 680 billion, just for the gold. Then there's the silver. Then there's the stones. Then there's the marble. Then there's the, the wooden cedars. And the fact is, there, we don't have the skill today to build something like that. We don't have the skill with the stonemasons. We don't have the skill with gold, doing gold overlays on everything. We just don't have that skill anymore. And it took seven years. You think of the wages and the thousands and thousands of people at whatever wage, take an average wage today, Multiply it by seven and then multiply it by thousands. And that's salaries. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't build that today. And guess what? It's not even around anymore. It's totally gone. Okay? Then they had to build another one. When they went, came back from captivity after having the first temple destroyed, they built another one. But, oh, this one was nothing like the first one. And so the people wept. It says they wept when they saw this temple. They were like, oh. This is the building that's supposed to bring glory to God. It's not as good as the other one. And then even that one was destroyed. Why do you think the buildings are destroyed? Because God says, you guys are the temple. We see this in the words of Stephen, the first martyr of the church. Acts chapter 7, verse 48 to 50. Acts chapter 7, 48 to 50. David found favor with God, and he asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for God. But it was Solomon who actually built it. However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. God doesn't live in temples made by human hands, because what we can build isn't valuable enough. <laughs> As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Asks the Lord. <laughs> Look at what you've built. I've got heaven and earth. 
That's my throne and my footstool. What's this little building you're building here? It's not enough for me. Could you build me such a resting place? And didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? See, any building, no matter how wonderful it looks, will never be the final resting place for God because it simply isn't valuable enough for God. There's only one building that is valuable enough. That's the people of God. Because people are the most valuable resource on the planet. There's nothing more valuable to people. Jesus didn't die for a building. He didn't die to fix the hole in the ozone layer. He didn't die to save the whales. He died to save people. They, you and I are the most valuable thing to God. He shed his own blood for us. That's how valuable we are. And he's saying, only you guys are the people that I can build with. I want to be in you, and I want you to be in me. You the temple. This is what we're reading about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. We read it earlier. But Paul rebukes these Christians, and he says, don't you realize you're the temple? So stop living the way you're living. It matters. Stop going on with division. Stop choosing sides. Stop getting your favorite pastor. Be unified because you're the temple of God. You're doing something sacred. And he says it again in 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 16 and 17. And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God says, you see idols are not alive. They're just carved out of stone. They can't talk. They can't do anything. But we're the temple of the living God. A God is alive and really speaks. As God says, I will live in them. This is what God's saying. I'm going to live in them. And I'm going to walk among them. And I'm going to be their God. And they're going to be my people. Once again, God's saying, if we're going to be God's people and He's going to live amongst us, He needs a building. And that's you and I. That's why the temple is gone. Jesus said, not a single stone will be laid on top of another. Guess what? The western wall is not part of the temple. Otherwise, Jesus is wrong. Think about it. Okay? He said not a single stone will be left on top of another. And yet they claim the western wall is part of the temple. It isn't. Otherwise, Jesus is wrong. Because those stones are still on top of each other. Okay? Anyway, that's a sidetrack thing. All right. Third point. A Christian life is dot, 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 number three, a life that is being shaped. So not only are we a life that is set apart, not only are we a life that's incredibly valuable, but we're also being shaped by God. 1 Peter 2, verse 4 to 5. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. Jesus is a part of this temple. Why? He's human. He came as a human. The human race. God's people are going to be a part of this temple. That's why Jesus is a part of it. He's the cornerstone. The chief cornerstone in this building. Okay? He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. You are living stones. That's us. We're living stones. Okay? That God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. 
So in this spiritual house that God is building for his eternal dwelling place, you and I are being built together like living stones. We're being shaped by God for a unique place in his temple. Okay? He's doing a work in our lives now. It's a mystery. But here's the thing. The temple was built in Jerusalem, but the stones came from a quarry that was miles away. And the stones had to be cut out of the earth. They had to be shaped there at the quarry and then brought to the temple site and built into the temple. There's a cutting out and there's a building in. And it's a tragedy when Christians come to Jesus, they cut out, they're separated, they get saved, but they don't let Jesus shape them so they don't ever get built in. And they never know their place in God. They never know how do they actually fit into this whole thing. How do they fit into the body? What's my place? What part am I? They just don't know because they've been cut out of the rock. They've come to Jesus, but they haven't remained with Jesus. They've kind of got their ticket and walked off. And Jesus said, you're only going to know all the blessings, all the provision that I have for you if you stay in me and with me. And walk with me and put my yoke on you. And just as, a, as an aside from that, is that I believe the yoke of Jesus is his arm around our shoulders. It's walking in friendship with God. It's walking side by side, hand in hand with God. It's not some wooden thing that's chucked over our neck. It's friendship. And Jesus is saying, come to me and be my friend. Don't ever leave my side because everything that I have, I want to give to you. But we come to Jesus, we get quarried out, and then we go, praise God, I'm saved. I've had the first few drops of water. What a wonderful thing. And off I go and I live my life however I want. Totally forget about Jesus. And all that does is it produces disappointment in people. And they go, you know what, I tried this Christian thing, but 10 years down the line, it's a drag. Most of the things that I really enjoy in my life, the Bible says I'm not allowed to do. So I end up doing all of that in secret. And then I come here and I put a mask on and I do all these things I don't want to do in front of everyone else because I want my reward in heaven. And it's a sham. Christianity is supposed to be the most amazing life that you could ever live. I mean, relationship with God, there's nothing better. But you've got to have a real relationship and talk to Him and hear Him. That's what He wants. But we fall so far short because we get quarried out But we never get built in. We don't let that shaping happen in our lives. See, this building in is a process, not a once-off event. When that stone is cut out, it says in 1 Kings chapter 7, the stones used in the construction of the temple were finished at the quarry There was no sound, so there was no sound of hammer, axe, or any other iron tool at the building site. That's amazing to me. I've done a bit of building at home, and I tell you what, it's not easy to cut and measure and do everything perfectly, and you just stick it up, and there it is. Most times you get it wrong, you back to Bunnings, you get another piece, you cut it again, it's still wrong, you go back to Bunnings, get another piece, then you realize you've only got 20 nails and you needed 25 and you go back to Bunnings and buy more nails. So can you imagine building a temple from stone 
and having to cut ex- the pieces exactly right at the quarry, and then you've got to take them by horse and cart, one at a time, all the way over, and then build them in. And no final adjustments. No like, oh, it's just a mill out. I just need a shave off a mill. No, can't do it. They had to be cut to specific dimensions, predetermined dimensions in the quarry. What does that mean? The quarry represents life on earth. You're cut out while you're here on earth. You're separated, you're saved, you're born again. But you're still shaped here on earth. None of us are going to die and get to heaven and then say, God, I've got a lot of work to do. Shape me now. It's too late. (laughs) Because when we get cut out, we're all these weird shapes. You know, some of us more weird than the others, you know. And God has to knock off all these edges. He's like, comes with his hammer and chisel and he knocks off impatience and he knocks off selfish ambition. Bang. And he puts in humility into our lives. And he shapes us all along so that one day, when we die, we will be built into this temple and not need any adjusting anymore. But it's a tragedy when we don't allow that process to take place. I don't know what it looks like on the other end when we finish and we're actually not the right shape. But I know that it's not the best that God has for us. And he has a perfect plan for each of our lives. My goodness, if God has a perfect plan, I want that plan. I mean, I don't even want to think about what I want to do. I'm like, God knows me better than I know myself. Whatever he wants, I'm happy with. I know it's going to be good and perfect. I don't want to get in the way and go, yeah, but, you know. God says that flavor of ice cream is the most amazing flavor ever. I'm not going to say, yeah, but I still like chocolate. And I want my vanilla and whatever else. I just want what God wants. If he wants me to do something, I'm just going to say, God... I may not think it's the right thing, but I'm trusting you. You have the predetermined plan for my life, and whatever shaping you need to do, do it. That's the picture of our lives. We've been taken out of this world, but we're still in the world. We're still at the quarry being shaped by God. And God knows exactly where we're going to fit into his eternal dwelling place. He knows the dimensions we should be. And then just an ending. How should we respond to this? See, God is building a temple, and that temple is us. The ultimate purpose of our lives is to be a dwelling place for God. That's why we're here. That's what He wants. He wants to be so close to us that He's in us and we're in Him. You think about that. You can't even imagine what that's like. That's how close God wants us to be. It's like a man falling into the sea and drowning and swallowing all the water. Not only is he in the water, the water's in him. It's that kind of closeness where it's like you can't tell the two apart. Now, I'm not saying we're going to become God, but we're going to become like God. Okay, we'll never be God because we weren't eternal. We were born at some stage. There was a time when we weren't. There was no time when God wasn't. Okay? But he's transforming us into such a place of unity where when he thinks something, we think the same thing. Where we know the thoughts of God. Where we know his will. Where we know this is what God would want. So I want that. 
That's the unity that God wants in our lives. So three things that we need to do when we understand this, when we understand that God's saying, you and I are the temple of God. Firstly, we've got to be willing to be quarried out. That's where it starts. Unless we're quarried out, unless we're born again, there's no being the temple. There's no being built into the house of God because we've got a sin problem. And God and sin don't go. They're incompatible. Chalk and cheese. Water and oil. You can't mix the two together. You can stir all you want, but it'll never ever join together. And so while we've got sin in our lives, we can never be those living stones that are built into God's house because He simply won't live in us. He won't. But praise God, He sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross to take our sin upon Himself and He paid the ultimate price, gave up His life for you and I dealt with our sin so that we can be cleansed of that which is being called made righteous now we can be those living stones because the sin has been dealt with in our lives now God can live in us praise God so the very first thing is we've got to be willing to be quarried out second thing is that if we have been quarried out we've got to be willing to be shaped we've got to be willing to be built in not just sitting at the quarry waiting till the day I die. Praise God, I'm born again. There's a journey. There's a shaping. There's stuff that God wants to do in our lives. He wants to give us the most amazing life ever. But if we just settle for quarry life, I mean, it's boring in the quarry. <laughs> Looking at all these stones and, you know, God wants to do something amazing with your life. But let Him do it. Walk with Him. <clears throat> You've got to be willing to be shaped, to be chiseled. To fit into a predetermined dimension. So, in other words, saying, God, I want your plan. I don't want my plan. I don't want to be the boss of my life. I want to get off the throne of my heart and let you reign. I don't want to try and knock you off that throne. I want you to be the driver. <clears throat> that means we don't grab for our inheritance. If we're grabbing for something, it's not God-given. God gives us something. We don't have to grab for it. Satan grabbed for the throne of God. Jesus never did. He says he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped at. He just let God give it to him. That's how we're to be as Christians. Let God shape you and lead you into what he's already given us. Thirdly, start today with a life of worship and focus on God. Don't sit around waiting for something to happen. And sit around and go, okay, well, I'm a living stone. Now I'm going to just wait and see what God's going to do in my life. Start worshiping Him. Get involved. Come to every meeting you can. Get as much of God as you can. Read the Bible. You know, spend time with God. Develop this relationship with God. So Jesus has given us the invitation, come to me and remain in me. Abide in me. He's already said it in John 15. So let's do it. And let's trust that He has the power to keep us in Him. Not, oh my word, I've sinned, I've fallen again. Now I've broken off this relationship with God. God has the power to keep us in relationship with Him. Let's trust Him at His word. But don't sit around. Start worshiping God. Press in on the Lord daily. Maybe go from here and set your alarm clock 10 minutes early in the morning and spend some time and be real with God. Say, God, 
thank you for your goodness. Thank you for a new day. Thank you for your word. And read the word and just say, Lord, speak to me. And then you'll just read your whatever you're reading. And let and when the Lord speaks to you through his word, pray about it. Let it be a two-way conversation. Don't just get into God and go, oh, Lord, this is... Thank you for the new day, and I just pray for this, 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 and go through the shopping list. That's not relationship with God. (laughs) Relationship is hearing Him and you speaking to Him. It's two-way. That's what God wants. Feed your soul with God's Word, and lastly, hang around with people who love God. You hang around with people who don't love God, guess what? Five, ten years' time, that's going to be you. Because the Bible says bad company corrupts good character. It's absolutely true. There's a saying, it's a worldly saying, but it's also true. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Hang around with people who love God. If you want to love God, hang around with people who love God. That's why come to church, stay here on Sunday. Don't go home. (laughs) Stay in the car park. I'm serious. When I, when, I, when I first got born again, I went to every single meeting that there was. Every one. They had three meetings on a Sunday. I was at all three. They had multiple meetings during the week. I was at everything. Every course the church did, I was there. I went to more than one home group, even though I wasn't allowed to, because I wanted more of God. I was so hungry for God. I wanted prayer every single opportunity. Not for healing or anything, for more of God. That's how you grow. If you're thirsty, God will give to you. But if you stand there and go, yeah, well, it's nice, maybe. Let's see what happens. God's gonna not, He's not going to respond at all. He responds to the hunger and the thirst of His people. Let's stand. We're going to pray. We're going to respond to God.